If you would turn with me in the New Testament, Gospel of Matthew, we will read for our New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 15, verses 10 through 20. We recognize that the reading of Scripture is a means of grace, whereby God gives to us, extends to us, conveys to us the benefits are of our redemption. So as we come to the reading and the preaching of God's Word, we take into account what we learn from Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 89. How is the Word made effectual to our salvation? The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of His Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Recognizing the reading and preaching of God's Word as a means of grace, we ask ourselves that question, how is the Word to be read and heard, that it may be effectual to us when it is read to us publicly, when it is preached to us by the servants of God, that the word may become effectual to salvation, we must receive it or attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer. We must receive it with faith and love. We must lay it up in our hearts and we must practice it in our lives. So with that exhortation, let us Turn to Matthew 15, verse 10. And he called the people to him, and he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came, and they said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth? proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The Old Testament book of Proverbs Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep the heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, how we are thankful for once again this opportunity to come together as your people to hear your word proclaimed, to be read to us, to see the administration of the sacrament, knowing that as it is a means of grace, you work all things together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. We especially thank you 
for your hand upon this little child and being born early, yet, Lord, preserving his life. And we look to you, who is the giver and author of life, to sustain him, to cause him to continue to grow and to become strong and a witness for the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to your word, Lord, we do ask and pray that you would grant us the promise of your Spirit, who has been given to lead us and guide us into all truth, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might behold wondrous things from thy law. Father, we would go from this place changed, being made more conformable to the image of him who has loved us and given his life for us to set us free from all sin and death. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight. For it is in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like to thank Pastor Troutman and the session once again for the invitation to be here with you this weekend, both for the conference and this opportunity on the Lord's Day morning to open up God's uh, Word to us. I'm always, whenever I'm invited back to a congregation to preach after I preached there before, Having read in Wesley's journal, John Wesley's journal some year ago, he would say, invited to such and such a church, and then later it would say, never invited again. (laughs) I I am always thankful to the Lord for his goodness to me. This sermon, Keeping the Heart, or um, uh, Keeping the Heart, along with another sermon that I preach along with them, Uh, in redeeming the time out of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians chapter 5, come as a result of my recently uh, having lost my wife to the good, gracious providence of God. Shortly after Kathleen was diagnosed with bladder cancer, it became very obvious to us that the Lord was going to take her home, and take her home very quickly. One afternoon, we were sitting together and reflecting on something that we had learned from the Puritans. And what that was, was the Puritan definition of the Christian life. A Christian, according to them, was one who lived well for Christ, and died well in Christ. And right away that brought us to especially reflect on Psalm 90, a psalm that we read through the many days and weeks that the Lord had her here, but in particular from verse 10. My wife was just a few months short of her 70th birthday. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. They fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To live well for Christ is to live well for Christ in numbering our days. To die well in Christ 
is to die well in Christ with a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians is redeeming the time for the days are evil. A heart of wisdom is a heart well kept. A heart of wisdom is a heart well kept. So the writer of Proverbs reminds us, keep the heart with all diligence, or from it flows the springs of life. The heart is, in the Christian religion, the center of all things. Christianity is a religion of the heart. In fact, in the Old Testament, those who failed to walk with God were those who had an uncircumcised heart, a heart that wasn't given to the Lord. God sends Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint a king over Israel. Samuel looked on the outward appearance of men. And God said to him, Samuel, I don't look on the outward appearance of men, I look on the heart. And David was chosen because he was a man after God's own heart. The writer of Hebrews reminds us again about the importance of the heart when he says, let us not be taken away by an evil heart of unbelief. And I believe that much of the problem in the Christian church today worldwide, not only in the Evangelical Church of America, but worldwide, is that religion has become outward in its focus and not inward. The Puritans, and I made mention of this especially concerning Pilgrim's Progress, that the life of a Christian was a upward life toward heaven, but an inward life towards holiness, towards godliness, towards a heart that was given to the Lord. And Jesus teaches us here in the text in Matthew 15 that it's, it's not what goes into a man, it's not what we eat and drink that defiles a man, but it's what comes out because it is from the heart that the issues of life flow. If you want to know what a man or a woman is like, all you need to do is listen to their words, because their words reveal the heart. As face in water is faith, so words reflect the hearts of men. And if the heart is really of this much importance, how much more should we keep our eye upon it? 2011, I was sitting in my study about 6 o'clock in the evening. Suddenly it felt like somebody was trying to smash his way out of my chest with a sledgehammer. Turned out that I was having a massive coronary. My thought as I was on my way to the hospital and I was pretty much sure that I was having a heart attack, even though I hadn't arrived at that particular time, was I thought to myself, I don't remember or I can't identify any kinds of signs that would have told me I was having a heart attack. 
my left descending arteries completely colluded. And basically what I came to discover was it wasn't that there were no signs. It wasn't that I wasn't paying attention to the signs as they were coming. If I had known how to pay attention, if I had identified those, if I had kept my eye upon it, I could have maybe avoided a very painful experience in my life. You see, the neglect of the duty of keeping the heart brings you into great jeopardy. Not keeping my heart, failing to keep my physical heart, brought me to the brink of death. But God, by His grace, has spared us. He has said to us, listen, the heart is of such importance, you must give yourself to its proper keeping. Keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. First of all, I'll try to open the text for us here in Proverbs 4. I'll amplify that text for us, and then by God's grace, we will apply it to our given lives that God has given us. Keep the heart. What does that mean? What does it mean to keep the heart? Well, physically, I know that it means that I need to exercise. I know that physically it means if I'm going to keep my heart, I need to eat all the right things. I know that physically, if I'm going to keep my heart, I need to do and follow the doctor's instructions. But what does it mean when it says that I'm to keep my spiritual heart? Well, first of all, it obviously means that we're to use all the means to preserve our heart from sin. In other words, there's a negative aspect to keeping the heart, and there is a positive aspect to keeping the heart. The negative is, I'm to use all the means that God has given to preserve my heart from sin. Now think about this. We talk about the means of grace, the reading of God's Word, the preaching of God's Word, our sitting in the administration of the sacraments, our prayer time, our Christian fellowship, all of those means, first of all, are given to us to preserve this heart that God has given us from sin. Keeping the heart, keeping it strong, keeping it, secondly, using those very means to maintain the heart's communion with God. So as we use these means of grace, we are keeping the heart. And that's why the divines tell us that when we listen to the preaching of the word, we must do it with diligence, preparation, and care. Receiving it in faith and love. Laying it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. That is what keeps the heart. That is what enables us to be strong in our Christian walk. That's what enables us to say no unto godliness, keeping ourselves away from sin, and yes unto godliness, living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present evil age. So the writer of Proverbs Solomon says to us, keep the heart, keep it from sin, keep it in communion with God always and ever before you. Listen, Keeping communion with God is not just some small thing. At Greenville Seminary, I teach apologetics. 
And one of the ways that I define apologetics is apologetics is the vindication of a Christian world and life view over against a non-Christian world and life view and our justification in the claim that we know God. Now, usually when I'm doing apologetics, it's not so much the Christian world and life view that people necessarily object to. It's my claim that I know God. I don't just know about God. I don't know that there is a God. I know God. I know Him in personal living communion. I know Him in His smiles. I know Him in His chastisements. I know Him when I rise in the morning. I know Him when I sleep at night. And keeping the heart is keeping that knowledge real. It's keeping that knowledge present. It's keeping that knowledge alive and vivid. I walk with God every day. When you receive the benediction at the end of a service, and the Bible says in Numbers 7 that God should make His face shine upon you, that God should smile upon you, that we walk in that presence of God. That is the great blessing of a Christian, and it is in the heart that we know that to be true. It's not just a figment of our imagination. It is the truth of God that we have laid a hold of in our hearts, ever following Him in all His ways. And what is the special nature of this duty? Well, the writer of Proverbs again says to us, keep the heart with all diligence. This is not something that we do once a year, once a year like we celebrate Thanksgiving. This is not something we do once a year like when we celebrate our birthday. This is something that we do constantly and always every single day. It must be a constant keeping of the heart because of the importance of our heart for the Christian life. If Christianity really is a religion of the heart, how much more should we constantly and vigilantly and thoroughly look at keeping the hearts? My doctor would tell you, it doesn't do me once a good exercise once a week. It doesn't do you any good to come to church only once a week if all the other six days you're not looking to keep the heart. It doesn't do you good to come once a week to listen to the preaching and the reading of the Word if you're not throughout the rest of your days thoroughly and constantly giving yourself to the reading of God's Word, meditating upon that Word, reading that Word. I mentioned in the conference this weekend that it was said of John Bunyan that if you cut him he didn't bleed blood he bled Bibline he so meditated upon he so absorbed the word of God that it was the very blood that flowed in his veins and it is in the same way that we are to give all diligence to constantly and thoroughly and sincerely lay a hold of and look at our hearts and keep them right before God. But not only do we look at what it means to keep the heart, and what is the special nature of this duty with all diligence, but the why. Why should we keep the heart 
And the writer tells us we are to keep the heart with all diligence for from it flows the issues or springs of life. A dead heart is a dead man. If our heart is not spiritually alive, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus rebukes the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 15 because he says, Out of their heart flows nothing but murders and slanders and sexual immorality and theft and death. It's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. It's what comes out of man. And because what comes out is what we really are, we need to make sure that our hearts are right with God, in communion with God, that we are keeping our hearts, for out of it flows the issues of life. We keep the heart as out of it flows the issues of life because we know the propensity towards spiritual slumber. The Christian life is not a life of just letting go and let God. The Christian life is a life of thoughtful determination. Thoughtful determination to be a man or woman of the Word. Thoughtful determination to rely upon the promises of God and upon His promises alone. A thoughtful determination to be about killing sin, lest sin be about killing me. A thoughtful determination to exercise myself in the means of grace. And I realize that it's a struggle to do that. We know, if we're honest with ourselves, that most of us don't struggle when it comes time to read the Scriptures. In our private devotions, we've got so much to do, so much occupying our minds, so many places to be. We know what a struggle it is. Listen, it might not be every Sunday, but all of us have to admit there are Sundays when I wake up in the morning and say, I don't want to go to church. I want to sleep in. I want to rest a little bit more. We know that there's those times when we ought to be doing spiritual things in the church, but things like sports and recreations and even business and work constantly pull us away. But the writer of Proverbs again tells us, a little folding of the hands, a little sleep and slumber carries us away, and there is that propensity for us to fall asleep. Jesus gives us an example on the night in which uh, he was betrayed before he was crucified when he takes a few of his disciples and he go off, goes off to pray and he says to them, watch and pray with me. And he comes back over and over again he finds them sleeping and he reminds us, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. We have to give all diligence to keep our heart because of that propensity towards spiritual slumbering. But also because as 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, they, there is an enemy who roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Some years ago, I was when Kathleen and I were living in Uganda, we took a week to go on safari. I had up to that time seen many lions and zoos and things like that, but I'd never seen a lion in the wild, so my goal in this safari was to see a lion in the wild. 
Well, for days on this particular game preserve, we had driven around, and I couldn't for the life of me find a lion. And they had radios that they gave us, and they had these people coming on telling us where lions were, and we'd race over there, and by the time we got there, there were no lions. I finally decided I was going to hire a guide. The guide was a woman. Her name was Pamela. Pamela was in the vehicle with us, and we were driving down a road, and I was doing about 40 miles an hour, and all of a sudden she yells, Stop! I slam on the brakes, thinking I'm about ready to hit something. And she says, Back up a little bit. So I back up, back up, back up. And she says, Look right over there, there's a lion. And I'm looking out in this field, and I don't see anything. She says, It's right there. I said, Pamela, I don't see anything. So I grab my binoculars, basically look, and a few minutes later I see this head come up out of the grass. Mm -hmm. Start looking all around. Disappear. And I turned to her and I said, Pamela, I needed binoculars to see that thing when he stuck up its head. How in the world did you see it? She said, well, I didn't really see it. She said, see those cobs, those deers over there? And I said, yeah. She says, look at those four. Look where they're looking. And there were four deer, cob, and they were all looking to one spot. And she said, that's where I knew the lion was. Because that lion is roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom it may devour. And there were those cobs that were what? Guarding the flock. And that's exactly what, here, the flock is our heart. And because there is an enemy roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, we are to keep watch upon our hearts. We are to keep our hearts safe before God. Keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Why do we keep it? Because God calls us to keep it. If it wasn't important, God wouldn't lay it upon us, but He has laid it upon us. He has shown us in His Word the importance of the heart. He has shown us in His Word the necessity to keep the heart, and He shows us in His Word how to keep the hearts. And that's what we'll look at now. How does the Bible teach us to keep our hearts with all diligence? Well, first of all, he says, do it by frequent examination of your heart, along with careful consideration of its actions, its words, and its thoughts. Careful consideration of its actions, its words, and its thoughts. I had a man say to me one time, Tony, you may not be what you think you are, but what you think you are. And it's true. One of the ways we can know our spiritual state, one of the ways we know the state of our heart, is by listening to our thoughts. Those things we think when nobody else knows. Or listening to our words. If out of the heart flows the issues of life, it's our words that betray the condition of our hearts. Our actions. Looking at those things. Proverbs 4, 26 and 27 says, Watch the path of your feet. Again, living in Africa in a country where there's about three different or 3,000 different species of snakes, 
with nearly 90% of all of those species being poisonous, and some of them being poisonous to the point that if you were bit in a few minutes, you would be dead. You made sure that when you were walking around the bush, you knew where you were stepping. You were watching the path of your feet. You were being careful. You were watching for your life. To watch your heart is to watch your feet. It is to watch yourself as you walk in the path before you. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but it's the Lord who weighs the heart. You see, God doesn't just look at our feet. God looks at our heart. It's the Lord. The Bible says to us, Take heed lest an evil heart of unbelief be found in you. Hebrews 3.12 As the writer tells us again to uh, watch our hearts. Proverbs or Psalms 4.4 says, Commune with your heart. Ecclesiastes 1.16 says, Ponder your heart as you lay in bed. How many of us go to bed at night and as we lay in those few moments before we go to sleep, ponder our actions, our words, our thoughts of the day? Have they betrayed an unbridled heart? Have they betrayed a heart of unbelief? Are there actions that need me to confess them before God, knowing that as we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us? But it's not just simply the frequent examination of our heart, but by the quick and diligent action upon discovery of any malady or besetting sin. Now I'm using some Puritan terms here. Maladies, any sickness of a heart, any besetting sin, any sin that I particularly struggle with, any sin that the Puritans used to call bosom idols. It's easy to give up many things. Often I witness to people and, and they ask me, they go down a list. If I become a Christian, do I have to give up this? Yes. Well, that's no big deal. If I become a Christian, do I have to give up this? Yes. Well, that's no big deal. If I become a Christian, do I have to give up this? Yes. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to give up that. That's his besetting sin. That's his bosom idol. That's the place of the test of his real commitment to Christianity and to Christ. Will he follow him? If any man come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. If you love the things of this world, you cannot love God. For you will serve the one and neglect the other. By a quick and diligent release. Notice what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. He says... I entreat your favor with all my heart. This is verse um, 58. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. By a quick 
and diligent action upon discovery of any sickness or any besetting sin, we hasten to turn our way. We hasten to lay it aside. We hasten to lay hold of God's commandment. Or as Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, verse 29 and following, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Pluck it out. It's better to go into heaven maimed without an eye than it is to go to hell with both eyes because you have not kept the heart. If thy right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. For it is better for you to go to heaven maimed, handless, than it is to have two hands and perish forever in hell. John Owen's famous quote, If you're not about killing sin, my friend, sin will be about killing you. It will destroy your heart. It will cause you great pain and grievance. It will bring God's chastening hand upon you. Though you might not lose your salvation, it might not be a sign of your reprobation, your apostasy it certainly will bring God's chastening hand. God does not want His children to be weak, but He wants us to be strong. He wants our hearts to be strong. And so He tells us that we are to pray fervently for preserving grace and that discernment to recognize evil and to remain far from it. Proverbs 22.3 and Proverbs 27.12 says, A prudent man. What is the prudent man? Really, the prudent man is one who has kept his heart. Realizing that out of it flow the issues of life. A prudent man sees evil and he hides himself. He runs from it. He turns the other way. He's not ensnared in the devil's traps. He understands the schemes of the evil one. He's put on the whole armor of God that he might stand in the evil day by avoiding all things that make the heart or induce it to sin. All of us have our weaknesses. We're stronger in some areas. We're weaker in other areas. The man who keeps his heart knows himself. He knows his condition. He knows what tempts him. He knows what will cause him to stumble and fall. And as a prudent man, he turns away. He makes a covenant with his eyes. As Moses tells us in the book of Job. He makes a covenant with his ears. I will look upon no evil. I will listen to no evil. I will speak no evil. But whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are right, whatsoever things are good, I will think upon those things. I won't meditate upon the idols and the way of idols, but I will meditate upon the living God and the truth of His Word. We keep the heart by being mindful of the presence of God and by being careful to heed the instructions of His Word. When I was 
a student at Westminster Seminary. I was working as a youth pastor in a congregational church down in South Philadelphia, Snyder Avenue Congregational Church. And I had been asked to preach one Lord's Day, and so, which was my practice during those days, I used to go down and get in the pulpit in the middle of the week when nobody was there, and I'd say, God, fill the place with angels and let me preach. And I'd start preaching and just open up the Word and just try to, you know, basically, as the Bible said, the angels search, they desire to know what we know, so I was preaching to them. It's the way I practiced. Well, while I was preaching this one day, I looked up and on the back wall, it looked like there was an eye on the wall that had been painted over. And I'm kind of looking at it thinking, wow, that is the weirdest thing, this big eyeball uh, up on the thing. So I went to the pastor later and I said, Pastor, is it, w w was there an eyeball on the back wall of the church? One time he said, yeah, there was. It was put there so that the people remember they were always under the watchful eye of God. Now, and from one perspective, we shouldn't have to paint pictures on the wall to remind us of those things but yet from another perspective we must be mindful that we always live in the presence of God we live quorum Deo we live in the face of God he looks upon us he watches over us he is the one who keeps us daily and it is a constant reminder remember as a young boy when my parents weren't around my life was rotten, but when my parents were around, I could control my mouth, I could control my thoughts, my behavior in front of them. If I walk around unconscious or unthinking about that I stand in the presence of God, He never is far from us. He is always near us. He hears everything we say. He sees everything we do. He knows every thought that we have. It makes me then, by steadfast prayer, say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to keep my heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. What is the fruit of keeping the heart? Is it just something we do and we never have any benefit from it? No. Keeping the heart sweetens trials. <clears throat> Keeping my heart set upon God is like Peter in the boat trying to keep his eyes set upon Jesus so that he could walk on the water. Keeping our hearts with all diligence sweetens those trials. It reminds me that He never will leave me. He'll never forsake me. He is the one who upholds me. He is the one by whom and from whom all the trials that I experience come. He's the one that reminds me that He works all things together for good to me who love Him and is called according to His purpose. He is the one who basically reminds me that I need this. Sweetened trials. Over a month's period, the Lord was pleased to take my wife to Himself. The 25th of March, she was diagnosed with bladder cancer. The 24th of April, on the Lord's Day, she entered into His everlasting presence.
And I realized as I watched God working in her life in that month that He was putting the final strokes of sanctification upon her. And realizing what God was doing sweetened the trial. It made me rejoice in the Lord. It made me give thanks to God. Because who is a God like our God? Who is a God who will take even death in our lives to prepare us for the glory that we have with Jesus Christ for all of eternity? Putting those final strokes of sanctification on her so that He would present her to Himself spotless and without wrinkle. Many of you might be going through trials, trials at work, trials at school, or as Pastor mentioned in his prayer, maybe you're single and you're going through a trial of your singlehood. Looking to Christ and keeping the heart will sweeten those trials. It will help us to keep our focus exactly where it ought to be. Not on the waves. Not on the tribulation that comes that seeks to toss us to and fro. But keeping the heart will keep us even keeled. It will keep us sober in our walk. It will keep us walking in that straight line. So that we will say, all things work together for good to those that love God and called up according to His purpose. What shall separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or disease, will things present, will things to come, will anything separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? It inflames our zeal. One of the things that happened to me after I had my heart attack that I didn't realize before was that my energy was waning. I just thought, well, you know, I used to run a mile in six minutes, and now I'm running it in seven minutes and 15 seconds. And, it, you know, it's just getting older. There's no, it's no big deal. But it actually was because my arteries were clogging. Because when they put the stents in and cleaned it out, I suddenly was running the six-minute mile again. Keeping the heart inflames our zeal. It gives us the energy. It gives us the strength. It gives us the motivation to do the things the Bible calls us to do in being a testimony and a witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ. It strengthens love. If the heart has many objects of love, it never loves any of those objects fully. Jesus said, you can't have two masters. It's me, and it's me all the way. I will share my glory, nor will I share my worship with any other. And when our hearts are strong and focused on Jesus Christ, He is that one whom we love with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. It promotes our obedience. We desire, as the writer says, when I look upon my way and I see that there's a malady or some besetting sin and I hastily turn away, I seek by your grace to keep your commandments. 
and your commandments are not grievous to me. They are the things that I love. I know they are for my good. It grounds my assurance. Hebrews 10.20 says, We have a full heart in full assurance that we know that God is our Father and that we are His children. And it fills us with joy. Proverbs 17 and verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A joyful heart, full of insurance. Psalm 30, the psalmist says, Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing for me. You put off my sackcloth, you girded me with gladness, to the end that my glory might sing praise unto thee and not be silent. O Lord, my God, my help, my deliverer, the one who has given to me a heart of flesh, who has removed from me a heart of stone, but has given to me a heart that seeks to be wise in numbering our days, that it may be a heart that is well kept before the Lord. Keep the heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Let us pray. Our gracious Father and God, again, we give you much praise and honor and glory. For Lord, when our hearts were hearts of stone in rebellion against you, you came by the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. You put a new heart within us, a heart of flesh, a heart that desires and longs to love you. And so, Lord, teach us Teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Help us to be a people who keep that gracious and glorious gift that you've given to us with all diligence, realizing, Lord, that it is the very spring of life within us that you have given to us. Father, forgive us for all of the ways we have neglected our hearts in the past. And give us grace, O Lord, that in all the means that you have provided, we would seek daily, we would seek thoroughly, we would seek sincerely, we would seek constantly to keep that heart vital in union with you, our Savior and our Lord. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your grace and mercy to us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.